quote my favorite actress in my favorite movie. Let's start at the very beginning. It's a very good place to start. Julie Andrews, or Fourline Maria, however you want to refer to her, was very wise. And so we start today at the beginning in a book that hopefully is easy for you to find in Genesis chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, which begins with these words, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you so much for bringing us here this morning. We thank you for that beautiful music we just heard. Pray with us, uh, be with us, Jesus, as we, we ask you today to be with us as we begin this journey in the book of Genesis. In your name, amen. Henry Morris said, the book of Genesis is the most important book ever written. Genesis contains within it the foundation for all biblical truth, the principles and the foundation for all biblical truth. It, unlike any other book in the Bible, has impacted literally the whole of Scripture, the entirety of Scripture. As the quote on your connection card states, and and I am paraphrasing, though primarily a book about beginnings, Genesis also provides a hint of the end. Thus, this book that is from the past, that focuses on all that began and how it began in the past, is able to simultaneously provide us with hope for the future. And in this series, we hope that you will see that. At the beginning of all this hope in the book of beginnings is the foundation for our hope, our creator, our God. Creation is foundational to the opening salvos of the Pentateuch. Creation is foundational to the, the aspect of our relationship with God even in 2017. Creation is explicitly mentioned time and time again throughout the scriptures, but, but we see it over and over again just in the opening books of the Bible. It is referenced, of course, obviously in Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2. But again, it is referenced in the event of the Exodus. It is tied to the Exodus and God's deliverance in Exodus chapter 15. Creation is connected to the law of God in Exodus chapter 20 and verse 11. The scope of the importance of this very first event in this very first book of the Bible cannot be emphasized enough. It is enormous. I see, as I've been studying this and as I've been reading about this very first event of creation, I can see why the devil wants to destroy the idea of a creator God, why the devil desires to destroy our belief in this story in Genesis chapter 1. I can see why the devil longs to, to undermine, undermine the development of this belief in our world and even within our church. It is not shocking to me at all after reading this story that the devil has an agenda against the concept of creation. The Bible begins with creation not only because it is the beginning of our world, not only because it is a very good place to start as far as telling a story goes, but the Bible begins with, with the creation story because it is the very foundation of key elements that are connected to who we are as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'll come back to this in a minute. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 says, In the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. Can I tell you that, that, that God, through inspiration, 
uh, Moses, through inspiration, has worked very hard to fully establish the idea of God as creator. To fully establish the idea God is not just creator that kind of got things started and disappeared, but as a God who is intimately involved in every aspect of creation. The Bible seeks to fully establish the, 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 the foundation of creation as a, as a literal event in which God desires us to see his movement and his love and care. Not only is Genesis 1 a denunciation of, of secular macro evolution, it is also a denunciation of theistic evolution, and we see this within the very language of this first chapter, right in the very first sentence. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We've read it so many times we might not even have paused to think about the grandness of that. But this statement is known as a, a merism. And for those of you that are, that are Bible scholars, you would know what this is. Merism is an important con, uh, uh, concept, linguistic concept to understand in studying the book of Genesis. It appears throughout several aspects of the book of Genesis. A merism is the designation of a pair of contrasting words or phrases that are in, then used to refer to the totality or the completeness of something. So when we see these things in the Hebrew language, these merisms, we realize that what God is trying to say or what someone is trying to say is, is that, that everything has been done, that this, the totality of this has been done, and this is a complete work. For instance, in the creation story, it states there is evening and morning. This is a type of merism. It's showing a complete and total day, a complete and total day, to indicate, uh, and this is what this indicates. So when God says, in the beginning, when the scriptures say, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, the heavens and the earth are not just simply references to, to ideas or concepts, but rather, the Bible here is, 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 is saying that, that God created everything. It's showing the totality of God's creative work. And of course, this would correspond with what we are taught in the book of John, Chapter 1. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, of course, we know that, that this is speaking of Jesus, the pre-incarnate God, which is, of course, just a big word for Jesus took on, before Jesus took on human form and wound up inside of Mary. Pre-incarnate Jesus is the individual of the Trinity being spoken of in John chapter 1 and verse 1. And three, in the beginning, the Bible says, was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with all, and then it, it, with God, and then it says in verse three, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. This wasn't simply hyperbole that John was using. John is referencing the merism of Genesis chapter one and verse one. All things were made through God. That is what Genesis 1, verse 1 is establishing, that God is the ultimate creator of all things. But the affirmation of God as creator continues in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 3. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. Now we understand and we may talk about the light at times but but what I want to focus on here is that little phrase and God said God said we've read it so many times we may not realize even the deep significance of what Moses was doing when he chose to write these words and oh by the way this little phrase and God said actually repeats 10 times in this chapter and I thank Pastor Andrea for 
sharing that with me. Repetition is important in biblical literature and it's important in Hebrew literature. It indicates there's something significant about that phrase and there's a purpose to that phrase being there and there's a reason why we should, we should pay attention to that. Well, well, was there literally a reason? Was Moses just using poetic language over and over again and God said and God said and God said and he was just trying to make a, a nice poetic turn of phrase? Or was there a reason why, why Moses again and again emphasize this idea that God spoke and something was created. God spoke and something was created. You remember that this book was written in the time of the Israelites, in the time of the Israelite exiles, who had been in Egypt for 400 years, and Moses, of course, himself had been in Egypt. Probably because of being in Egypt for so long, they were impacted by the customs and and the cultures of the Egyptian nation. Probably from being in Egypt so long, they had become familiar with the, with the stories and with the, with the beliefs of the Egyptian people. We are all products of the environments in which we are raised. That's just a reality. Some of us may see something slightly different until someone shows us another point of view. And we see that position originally probably because of our upbringing or the influences we've had around us. Well, in Egypt, there was a deity named Ptah. And the Egyptians believed that that Ptah spoke and creation happened. We believe that God spoke and creation happened. The Egyptians had a God that they believed spoke and creation took place. But, But they did not believe creation took place through this direct command. In other words, Ptah didn't speak something into existence. Rather, Ptah just spoke as the Egyptians believed, magical utterances, magical words. And as, and as, as he spoke these magical utterances and as he spoke these, these magical words, it energized the land. It energized the earth. And the land, through this energy, began to evolve and form itself into living things. So in other words, Ptah and, and what the Egyptians believed was almost a form of Theistic evolution, a God that, 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 that maybe got things started by a word, but really things just evolved out of their own power and out of their own development. And Moses was countering this position by saying, and God said, and God said, and God said, over and over again, expressly pointing out that God is the one who has power to speak things in through existence, that God is the one who, who intimately was involved in calling out the animals and, and, and bringing them to life, developing, calling a tree to life, calling a flower to life, calling even you and I into being, humanity into being. The Egyptians believed that things evolved out of their own material, and this is how life developed. God got things started, but they simply evolved. may sound familiar to us. It is interesting then that Moses said 10 times, and God said. Moses, the writer of Genesis, wanted it to be understood that God himself directly spoke life into being. The order and the structure of Genesis chapter one also were established to counteracts some of the theories of creation that existed in that day and age. There was these theories of creation that, 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 that life developed out of chaos. That because of the chaos that the gods were having and the, and the powers were having in the universe, that, that the earth had to figure out how to, how to function within that chaos and, and somehow they developed order out of 
that chaos. In other words, there was this mythology in the day and age that, that believed that, that creation developed out of what maybe could be called chaos theory. That life developed, order grew out of chaos. Yet the structure of Genesis 1 is to show that there was structure, that there was purpose, that there was intentionality, that it wasn't just a chaotic mess and somehow life developed out of this. In the beginning, God created. In the text, also just in Genesis chapter one, in the text, five times the words create or make are used, giving direct attribution to creation being a work of God. Creation is a work of God. Genesis chapter one and verse 31 and, and is a text that we preached on many times and God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was what? Very good. And we like to preach about that very good part. But you know, uh, another word that's significant within Genesis chapter one and verse 31 is the word everything. In fact, the word everything appears 20 different times in the creation narrative, 20 times. The Bible is emphasizing that everything was made by God, this idea of God making everything. The text through these examples and more goes above and beyond to fully establish that God is our creator, that God is the one who makes things. This story is not just a very good place to start because, well, that's a good place to begin a story with telling how things are made. It is a good place to start because it is the beginning, it is foundational to two absolutes for the Christian. I believe the reason why Moses goes above and beyond to try to fully establish God as our creator, to try to fully establish the, the literalness of, of Genesis chapter one, why, why Moses goes above and beyond to, to emphasize God's creative and inf- intimate work within the beginnings of this world and within the beginnings of our existence. I believe the reason God, uh, Moses goes above and beyond is because through inspiration, maybe he understood or simply God knew that it would be the case, that this story is foundational to two absolutes for the Christian in their walk with God. Hear me, y'all, and I wanna say this sensitively, but, but I will say it directly. When we denigrate this story, when we simply make it an allegory, when we say the only things that matter within this story are principles, when we deny the the components of God as creator, we are undermining not only creation itself, but we are undermining great pillars, two absolute necessities for our Christian journey. The first one is this, worship. Worship. Within our modern worldview, our primary reason for worshiping God is Jesus, specifically Jesus' death on the cross. In just a few weeks, uh, Easter is coming, and the whole Easter weekend is a celebration of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And a lot of time is spent on on Jesus' death and and Jesus' resurrection. And we, we, we respond that Jesus died for us and therefore we worship him. And we can agree that that is true. We, we worship him because he is our savior, because he died for us. But why did people worship? Why were people most often called to worship God prior to the cross? Prior to the cross, when you read the scripture over and over again, you see the primary reason for people being asked to worship God is because of creation 
is because he is the creator. Psalm 29, Psalm 95, Psalm 139, Psalm 145. Scholars refer to these as creation hymns, and they are written to respond to God in the context of worship. These hymns are written to call people to worship God, and in every single one of them, they are references to worshiping God because he is creator. Not just creator of you and me. In fact, in some of the Psalms, you aren't even mentioned and I'm not even mentioned. Humanity is not even mentioned. We're, they're called to worship God because he is the creator of the universe. We're called to worship God because he's the creator of the, the stars and the, and the heavens. We're called to worship God because he's the creator of the plants and, he's, and, the, mount, and, the, and the, 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 the oceans and the seas for all different kinds of reasons. Even what we are doing today, being here in this place, on the seventh day of the week, was established at creation and affirmed again in the fourth commandment by reminding people that we do this, that we have the seventh day, that we keep the seventh day because God is our creator. In other words, we're in this building worshiping today and God said, you do this as a reminder that I am the almighty creator. Before the cross, People worship God and were reminded and encouraged to worship their God because he was their creator and the creator of everything. Now I would ask this question, did God write an allegory? Did God build this, this sense of worship upon a lie and ask them to worship off of something that was only meant to illustrate principles? Did God say, worship me, that story's not really true, but you don't understand that yet, but I'm still gonna ask you to worship me based on this story that one day they will discover is not really true, is not really accurate. But even after the cross, even prior to the cross, but even after the cross, creation is affirmed for the reason that we are to worship. Remember the story of Paul in Acts chapter 17 when he goes to speak to the pagan philosophers in the Areopagus, Areopagus and in verse 22, beginning in verse 22, Paul says this, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. Therefore, Paul says, what you worship as unknown, I proclaim to you. What you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. He wants to help them understand who God is and why they should worship the one true God. He says, you've been worshiping this God and you have no, know nothing about him. Well, I'm gonna tell you who this God is and why you should worship him. And Paul continues in verse 24. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. Verse 26, and he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, allotted periods, the things that we have, the history and days and weeks and months and years, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. So God is this all-powerful, creative God, he says, and yet at the same time, he's not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. And as even some of your own poets, now he's affirming their own poets, he's quite a good witness, he doesn't, doesn't just attack these people. As even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring, and he uses the writings even of their day and their culture. We are 
indeed his offspring. Paul is saying here, what Paul is saying here is, who you are worshiping, this unknown God is the one true God. And you might not know it is God, but here is the reason that you should worship this God. And notice that the thing he establishes, the reason why they should worship him, is an emphasis on him being the creator. Paul, to pagans, he says, why should you worship God? Because he is the creator. If we undermine this idea of our God as the ultimate and the true creator and the divine creator of all things, are we also undermining our call to others to worship him? I think Paul would say so. Paul would say so. And then, of course, there is the famous text we all know and love in the book of Revelation, the very end of the Bible. Revelation chapter 14, verses 6 and 7. Then I saw another angel flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel, good news, to proclaim to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, language, tongue, and people. And he said with a loud voice, fear God and give him glory for the hour of his judgment has come and worship him because he died for you on the cross. Worship him because he was raised from the dead. Worship him because he is your intercessor in heaven. That's not the reason John says we are to worship in this moment. What John says is worship him who made the heavens and the earth, the sea and the springs of water. Worship, why? Because he created us. Now I'm not diminishing the cross, I'm just pointing out. I'm just pointing out that to devalue creation is to devalue the worship of God. In fact, it ends up also devaluing the cross because the plan of salvation, because creation is used to suggest the process of salvation in Christ. The, the creation is used to suggest the, the authority of Christ's blood covering our sins. Colossians chapter one, verses 16 through 20. It begins with this. For by him all things were created. All things were created. Genesis 1, in the beginning, God made the heavens and the earth. In other words, everything. In other words, everything. John chapter 1, everything was made through him. Apart from him, nothing that is made was made. Colossians 1, verse 16 through 20, for him, by all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. Paul says, why are we able to have peace by the blood of the cross? And he begins this litany of reasons with that foundational point that's found in Genesis chapter one and verse one, because in the beginning he created. What authority does his blood have? His blood has authority because he is also the creator. He's the creator God. But I believe Genesis also begins with creation because belief in creation, y'all, is the founding principle in scripture for our faith in Jesus. It's a founding principle for our faith in Jesus. The event of creation is the primary foundation for human faith in God. In other words, to undermine creation is to undermine human faith in God. Quoting Dr. Jacques, uh, 
I almost said Jacques Cousteau, but I'm not. <laughs> Quoting Dr. Jacques Ducan, to believe in creation, to believe that I owe my existence and the reality of the world to someone whom I do not see and who was before I was is the first act of faith. To believe that I am a product of someone who I cannot see and who did something before I was is the first act of faith. Are you aware that the only biblical definition of faith is related to creation? I was not aware of this actually. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse one, think about this. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things, what? Not seen. The conviction of things not seen. Think of this, y'all. Think of this. Creation is the only event, only event in history that took place when humans were not yet present to see it and to attest to it. The only event ever in the history of this world that took place when no human was there to see it or attest to it is the story of creation. Is the story of creation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. That is Hebrews 11 and chapter three. You know what Hebrews 11 is, right? Hebrews 11 is the what? The hall of what? Faith. It's the faith chapter. It's this list of, of faith. And, and Hebrews 11 lists all these actions of faith, that they, that they, that they believed in a, in a kingdom that had not yet come, that they were, they were faithful in spite of persecution, that they were faithful in spite of their own even sometimes sinful mistakes. They were, they were faithful. They, they, they were a faithful people. Hebrews chapter 11. And in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 3, the very first faithful act listed for humanity, the very first Faithful act listed for humanity. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that was, what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. If, if Hebrews 11 is a testament of the faithful walk with God, Hebrews 11.3 says that list begins with believing in a creator God and in the creation story of Genesis chapter one. To again quote Dr. DeCon, theological thinking like faith must first begin with the acknowledgement of creation. With the acknowledgement of creation. Faith begins with the acknowledgement of creation. The scriptures tell us we are saved by grace through faith. A principle that we are challenged to embrace when we read in the beginning God created. How many of us were there when that took place? And no other human throughout history could raise their hand either. It is the one act in the course of human history that must be received solely by faith. To undermine this is to undermine the foundation of faith that exists for all the rest of Scripture. All the rest of Scripture. In the beginning, God created. A decision that was made that establishes the foundation for worship 
from beginning to end. A decision that was made that establishes the foundation for faith from beginning to end. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Indeed, the beginning is a very good place to start. But not because it is simply the beginning of the story, but it is the beginning of our salvific journey. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for the story in Genesis that reminds us that you are a God that is intimately involved in the creation of this universe, that you are a God that is intimately involved in, 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 in the creation of humanity, that you are a God that can be trusted, and you call us, you ask us, you invite us to believe in faith. This story, this one story that no one else has seen, no human has seen, you ask us, at the very beginning of scripture, to put our faith in you, Jesus, to trust you, to not go on our own understanding, on our own, on our own merits or strength, but to recognize that just as at the beginning you created out of nothing, so too can you recreate us out of nothing. In your name we pray. Amen.